Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Wandering Through the Word.、Uh, I am not Pastor Noah; it's still Pastor Dan. But today, I'm joined by a very special guest. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Edward. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you here, and we are continuing through our series in Romans. This is our fourth podcast, but we are going over the third chapter of Romans. And before we go into Romans chapter three, I want to take some time to step back and recap what we have gone over, just in case for those who have missed it last time. We started out Romans one、um, by splitting it into two themes. The first theme is that the gospel is the power of salvation,、uh, or is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The second is the righteousness of God. The righteous shall live by faith. And the second half of Romans one, we talked about how the Gentiles need this righteousness by faith because we live unrighteously. We live not by faith but by the flesh. In Romans chapter two, last week we talked about how the Jews, the religious, also need righteousness by faith, because even though we know what is right, we do not do what is right, and so we too need the gospel. Now, before we go into Romans three, we're going to split it up into three parts, and the first section we're going to see from verses one through eight. This one is similar to what we went over last week, but Paul is going to address some of the questions that are going to come up. From Romans chapter two, so that's what the first section is about. It's addressing the questions that naturally come up from Romans chapter two. The second section is from nine through twenty, and this one is summarizing now who needs the gospel and why we need the gospel. And it's because all of us are unrighteous; we are all sinners. We all need righteousness by faith because we cannot get it through works. Lastly, is this is the main section. This is where we're going to spend most of our time, and this is the most important section: the righteousness of God through faith. And this is where we're going to start talking just a little bit. But we hope that it blesses our hearts. We're going to be talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right. Without waiting any further, let's look at the first section of Romans three. We're gonna once again split Romans three into three sections. The first section we're gonna mark off as verses one through eight. So let me just read that for you. Then, what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though every one were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to His glory, why am I still being condemned? As a sinner, and why not do evil that good may come, as some have slanderously charged us with saying, their condemnation is just. So I just read through Romans one through、uh, verses one through eight, and these first eight verses, it's still linked with chapter two, and it's setting up the situation once again of why even the religious people like the Jews need the gospel. And the reason why we split this from last week's sermon is because here, if we just breeze through it, as you can tell from the verses we just read, it's very confusing. And so we just want to show that in this section, 
Paul is answering some of the questions that the listeners, his audience, might have about what he just said in Romans chapter 2, how even the Jews need to live by faith, righteousness by faith. So, Pastor Ed, what are some things you see in this passage? So I do want to backtrack to the first two chapters and give a little context as to uh, the type of people that Paul is writing to. Um, back in the days uh, in Rome, it was more of like a, a honor and shame culture rather than an innocence guilt culture like we live in today. And so when Paul says his thesis, I'm sure you guys uh, talked about this in the previous uh, episodes, but he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And when he says that, he replaces the power onto God saying that it's the power of God that brings salvation. And when he's, when he jumps in and starts, you know, cutting down on the Gentiles and, and saying that the Jews are nothing um, to us, we think of it as he's just listing out all of the wrongdoings that they did. But in reality, Paul's not just talking about their wrongdoings, but he's talking about their identity. So for those of you who don't um, really know the difference between honor and shame culture versus innocence and guilt culture, this is the, the best way to phrase it. In an innocence guilt culture where kind of like where America lives in, um, if you do something wrong, they say that you did something wrong. But in an honor shame culture, when you do something wrong, they say that you are wrong, that it's your identity that has failed or is no longer worthy. And in that culture of Rome, um, that's very, very heavily honor and shame, he's not just listing out and pointing out all of the sins and all of the, uh, the bad things that they did, but he's actually cutting down on their identity, saying that you are not worthy, that you cannot save yourself, that everything that you've done is rubbish. And eventually he moves on to even saying that even the good stuff that you do is not good. And ultimately that you fell short of the glory of God. And it sounds like a very bad strategy to start with for him to start a letter, especially to a group of people that he hasn't even visited yet. And to say like, you guys are doing all of this stuff wrong and not just that, but you guys are nothing in it, um, in it of yourself. But he has to start there. He has to start by tearing down that honor and pride that they have. And I think the best analogy that I can put it as uh, is um, while I've been visiting people like in the hospital, occasionally you would run into people who are on what they call life support. And the whole idea of life support is since that person cannot live on their own, they're put on a bunch of machines and drugs and stuff to make sure that they don't, um, they don't pass away. And it's kind of like that where these Romans, whether it's Jews and Gentiles, they were living on this, this spiritual life support where they held on to their pride and their honor and their worth to pretty much keep them alive and using finger quotes, alive. <laughs> um, but Paul is saying, no, uh, you guys are not alive. You guys are actually completely dead to yourself and that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And that's kind of the context that he's writing in. And I don't know if I kind of like went um, sidetrack from chapter three, but when he finishes off with the Jews, he's pretty much doing that saying, you did all of this stuff wrong, but ultimately that you are not worthy of, of God. Amen. That was actually really amazing. And you captured it so well. And I think the way you explained it actually led perfectly into the verse we talked about because the number one question they'll ask in response is verse one. 
what advantage is there than being a Jew? So I think that's perfect. And so it's so true. Like Paul is, he knows they're going to ask that. He's anticipating that. And so Paul starts to answer. So what advantage is there? And he says, there's plenty advantage of being the Jew. We have the word of God. And it should be evident as they have the Old Testament, having the word of God has blessed them in a way other nations have not received. And so it was just so powerful. The word of God has blessed them, guided them, and even protected the nation of Israel. But exactly what you said, they're probably wondering like, well, we have the word of God. We got all these things, but why are we still bad then? Has, has God failed us? Has God, um, has God been powerless? And he, he's answering, that's the second question Paul's answering here in this first section. And then there Paul says, no, our unfaithfulness does not condemn him. Our unfaithfulness condemns us. Now, after that, that leads to an even harder question, um, which he starts in verse five. He says, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? And what Paul is writing here is actually a question that many people ask today. Like if you just go on the street, many people ask this, which is, if our unrighteousness is how God will glorify himself through his grace, are we really that bad? Like, aren't we doing him a favor by playing the bad guys in the movie? Like, aren't we making him look good? Why are we still punished? And then Paul's going to talk about this a little bit more later. But Paul uh, starts talking about here. Listen, if that is what you think, and he goes even further, if you, because there are people who say, oh, if our unrighteousness makes his grace look good, we could just keep being more unrighteous. And he makes, he looks even more good. And Paul's saying, yeah, you don't really get the gospel, do you? <laughs> mm. And that's what he's doing here. And so this first section, he's answering the questions that would come from a heart, um, from the least listeners of chapter one and chapter two, just like what Pastor Edward said. One verse we can specifically talk about, like in verse eight, why not do evil that good may come? And this is actually a charge that has been brought up against Paul. And you can understand why. These people have grown up with a law, be good, always be good. And Paul's like, no, we're not saved. We're not righteous by being good. We're, be, we're righteous by being forgiven. So it magnifies God's grace. And so naturally they hear that message and they think to themselves, ah, if we are being forgiven for all the bad we've done, then the more bad we do, the more forgiving God looks. And they like, why not just sin more then so God looks even better? Paul's going to talk about this in Romans 6. But before we go there, um, Pastor Ed, do you have anything you want to say about that verse? You know, I think um, like Paul likes using this question multiple times. And I feel like when we read this, we are very inclined to think like, who thinks that way? But I'm sure if Paul is writing it, it's because there are people who've asked him that question or who's been thinking that way. And sometimes we read this and think like, this doesn't apply to me because we don't think that immaturely. But in reality, I think we do uh, to a certain extent, um, but not necessarily directly as to say, I'm going to do evil, therefore I'm going to receive grace. But I think we think of it more as, you know, I don't have to take faith seriously. I don't have to take church seriously. I don't have to take my, you know, um, just being a Christian too seriously, because no matter what I do, God is going to love me. His mercy is going to embrace me and he's going to be graceful to me. 
And we give ourselves that slack. Like we don't have to come to church every week. We don't have to do certain, you know, Christian rituals or, you know, we don't have to read the Bible. We don't have to tithe. We don't have to do this. We don't have to do that. And we think to ourselves, it's okay because God loves me no matter what. And, you know, the, the famous uh, verse that I think um, you guys probably touched on on the previous chapter is, you know, only God can judge me. Right. And what Paul is trying to do is pretty much reach out to those people saying, oh, if God loves me, no matter what, if God is going to embrace me with his mercy, no matter what, then I don't have to take my faith too seriously. And when he speaks to the Jews about this, uh, it's very powerful because the Jews were either black or white. They were like, you know, follow the law to the period or don't follow the law at all. But Paul is saying, no, that's not the case. It's not about following the law that gets you into salvation, but that also doesn't give you the freedom to just continue to sin. Um, and that's not how God's mercy, God's grace works. And I do think it's very prevalent in our life today. We just don't see it as dramatically as the Jews do. Yeah. And that's, uh, for example, an example I've always thought about with that is like, they're saying we could just do more and the grace will just multiply. And yes, grace does cover, but it's not the way people think. It's not the way Paul was charged of preaching here. Many times people have this idea, like let's say sins are like a, like a mess on your floor in your house. And they think grace is like a blanket to cover it. Like grace just covers the mess in our house. And so like, if you guys have ever had like, um, as you guys know, like if you're Asian, like whenever a guest comes, clean up day. And so you just clean up everything, but you don't want to clean up like all of the stuff. So you just like hide everything under your bed or something like that or hide everything under a blanket. And so people think like, okay, well, maybe grace is like that. Grace is like this blanket or this bed that covers everything I did wrong. So if I just do more wrong, the grace expands to cover it. And what Paul is saying is, uh, especially in Romans 6, is if that is your view of the gospel, you don't really understand the gospel because the gospel is not, okay, getting this house that has this mess and covering it with a blanket. The gospel is, oh, we're, we're breaking down the house and we're making a new one. We're completely making a brand new house. And that's what the gospel is about. It's not so much about just, okay, these grace covers my sins. I am a new creation. And so it's a completely different way that Paul's gonna go over and we're gonna go this, over this more in Romans six, but it's amazing to see Paul's already starting to answer that here. In Romans chapter three, verse nine, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Once again, that's the summary right there. We're all under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So this whole second section 
everyone is unrighteous. Everyone needs the gospel. Pastor Ed, is there anything you want to share about this passage? Uh, I think it's interesting how he emphasizes this over and over again, as if, you know, saying it once, people won't understand. But the reality is, if he just said it once, they probably wouldn't understand. Yeah, they'd they probably, probably be like, oh, they're talking about that guy down the street. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, you know, these are people who really, really believe that they're righteous. Mm-hmm. And once again, when we read Romans, we naturally think, oh, wow, the Romans are really, really bad people. <laughs> but the reality is that it also applies to us. Mm-hmm. And if we were to contextualize it a little bit, I know... Um, He's speaking to a bunch of people in this honor and shame culture, but it's also very relevant to us who uh, live in this innocence, guilt culture as well. And I think for us in this Western world, we have this mindset of, I think the best way to put it is um, quid pro quo, Mm -hmm. which is Latin for something for something. Mm -hmm. And we naturally think if we did something, we are owed something. And if I didn't do something, then we aren't owed anything. And because we have this, I guess it's kind of like a capitalistic mindset, um, it's really hard for even us, not just the Jews and the Gentiles, but it's hard for us to even accept the fact that if we work this hard for Christ, how come we don't gain anything? And I think we do this all the time. Um, For example, uh, even Pastor David talked about it in his sermon. Um, but this past week, I was I had an opportunity to speak with uh, this lady who was an engineer. And because I work at Elite, this tutoring center, and I do a lot of academic counseling, I wanted to hear more about what it takes to be an engineer and so forth. And I was I got the opportunity to interview her a little bit. And when I asked her, like, hey, what high school did you go to? How hard did you work? How hard was it to get into this school and so forth? Um, she went to... I believe she went to Roland Heights High School or somewhere up there. And she says she worked so hard and she gave up all of her social life, all of her free time to study and take a bunch of AP classes, IB classes. And when it came down to applying for college, she didn't really know what she wanted to do. But going to community college was not an option for her because she owes it to herself because of all of the hard work that she's done to get into a better school than her inferior classmates. (laughs) And while I was listening to that, I was like, that's so true to us too in in our spiritual realm. We think like, hey, I prayed this much. I came to church this much. I gave this much. Like God owes me a certain amount. And I think this comes out when we feel wronged, when God is not giving us what we want. We say, you know what? Like, I'm hoping that I can get a really good career. I'm hoping that I can find a really good, you know, significant other, so forth, so forth. But when God doesn't give it to us, we ask, why isn't he giving it to us? I mean, I did everything that I'm supposed to. I'm, I'm a good Christian, but why is it that everyone else is being blessed, but not me? But the reality is that no matter how much you labor and sacrifice and do for God, there's absolutely nothing you can do to win your salvation or to earn your salvation. And Paul is emphasizing this over and over again because he knows that they're not gonna just get it by saying it once. So he says it over and over again, almost like two and a half chapters and it engraves into their head that they're sinners and that they fell short of the glory of God. And I think this is why it's significant that he's, you know, uh, elaborating on this multiple times, um, once to the Gentiles, once to the Jews, and pretty much to everyone else. 
Amen. We see that here too. Look at some of the things that Paul says. None is righteous. No, not one. Kind of like what you brought up. People are like, yeah, I might not be righteous, but I'm not like unrighteous. I'm not right. that bad. But look at some of the things he says. No one seeks for God. Now, even already from there, we can already find we need something more than our own works. Because if we really think about it, even with this first line, can we say we have sought God more than we have sought idols? Probably not. Can we really say we have sought after God more than we have turned to idols? We've probably turned to idols, sinful idols more. Do we spend more time trusting God's word or doubting God's word? Do we spend more time thinking about who God is or forgetting who he is? And so as we keep going down this list, we don't do good. We do evil. We lie. We gossip. There's this whole section about how we use our mouths. We hurt each other with our words. We're quick to do things that hurt others. And ultimately, and you see in verse 18, there's no fear of God before their eyes. And think about that. How blind must we be to not fear God? We must have no understanding of his greatness. And this reveals the hardness of our hearts that we don't fear God. So already from like these actions and these lists of things that Paul has written, we can already kind of tell we are not in a good place. And no, as much as we might think at the start of this book, yeah, I'm not that bad. Righteous, yeah, they'll live by faith, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty good too. I'm pretty righteous by myself. But as we're getting here to the end, we start to see, no, we're not. We're not good. Not, and people might say, well, I don't like these things because they make me feel guilty. But the point that Romans is trying to make here now in Romans 3 in this middle section is whether you feel guilty or not, you are guilty. And that's summarizing now from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to here, we are summarizing the human condition and why we are not ashamed of the gospel. We're building it all now, and we're about to hit this climax here, and this is what we have been building up to. We are all under sin. And if Romans ended here, my goodness, this would be very true news, but not good news. And just to add to that, uh, because we live in this capitalistic society, I think one of the, the biggest mistakes we make uh, is that we apply this mindset also to God. But God does not work under this something for something type of mentality. And thankfully, he doesn't. Oh, yeah. And once again, like Pastor Dan said, if Romans ended here, this would probably be the most depressing <laughs> yeah. um, letter that he has written. And he's written some depressing letters yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think one thing that I want to add, and hopefully this will be a good segue into the next section, but whenever we think about us being a sinner, um, if the theology ends there, then it's really easy for us to fall into despair. Mm -hmm. um, it's really easy for us to get into this mindset of I'm unworthy, which is totally true, but I've run into a lot of Christians who I don't know, I guess they stopped reading after Romans 3.20 <laughs> and they just feel so unworthy. They just feel so sinful. They just feel so dirty mm -hmm. and disgusting that they don't feel like they're good enough for God. And they don't feel like they're worthy of God. And once again, with this whole, you know, um, something for something, because they don't deserve it, the heartbreaking thing is that 
they refuse to accept the grace that God is willing to give them, which he talks about right after this. And so for the Christians who feel like, man, I'm such a sinner that I'm so unworthy of God. It's true, but I think you guys need Romans 3.21 and beyond. Amen. I, I, it's so funny because when you think about it that way, it's like, that's like watching like Infinity War and not watching Endgame. <laughs> like you're just like, man, Avengers lose. Yeah. End the story. Yeah. Now I'm sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. We're about to cross over from just true news to true and good news. I would go as far to say up to verse 20, even Satan can preach that. Mm. Even Satan can preach that and condemn you saying you're a sinner, but he will not preach starting from verse 21 because here's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Here's the power of God. He's about to shatter the chains that bind all our hearts. Here's the King of Kings. Here's the Lord of Lords. Everything we've said up till now in Romans was to get to here. Everything from verse 18 of chapter one to all the way to here, chapter three, verse 20 is to get to here, leading to here. We are all unrighteous, but now the amazing news, we all have access to salvation. We all have access to God. How? Well, let's look at the good news. Here's the final section. And this is what we want to focus on for today. The righteousness of God through faith. So here's verse 21 through 31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then th overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Amen. And that's the end of Romans 3. And we have so much to rejoice in right there. So we have need for righteousness. And that's what we've been building up until now. We all need righteousness. And when we stand in face of righteousness, God's righteousness, we are found unrighteous. It feels like we are in an unwinnable position. If we stand without the law, like the Gentiles, we are condemned. If we stand within the law, like the Jews, we are condemned. So it feels like we're trapped, but there's a new righteousness, one apart from the law, but the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Everything has been pointing to this. This is good news. This is incredible news. This is the gospel, righteousness accessible to everyone, including us through faith. And that's a beautiful thing. Pastor Ed, is there anything you want to share about this? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you, you, you said it all. I think it's um, pretty self-explanatory. And I think what it boils down to is 
This also comes with a disclaimer of whether you like it or not. Whether you like the fact that people have fell from sin or not, it's the reality. And whether you like the fact that God's grace is a gift to us and that it's absolutely free, not of our right doings or of our merit, but purely it's, it's the grace of God. Whether you like that or not, that's just what it is. Amen. It, God really did not ask for our opinion on this. This is God's way. And we see it's through faith. It's not by works. We see this in verse 22, but we see it everywhere. And it's going to be repeating throughout the end of Romans. It's through faith, through believing. And that's great news. The righteousness of God is available to all people by believing in Jesus Christ through faith, not by works. This puts us on an equal playing field. All of us are sinful and we are all be able to access God through faith. And this is a beautiful thing. So as we saw earlier, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that's just where we are at. But in verse 24, it's so beautiful. We are, see, the people who have fall sinned and fall short of the glory of God, are they're justified by His grace as a gift. And now you would expect those who have sinned and fallen to be instantly condemned. But what we see is a justification by grace, we couldn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it as a gift. It's just been given to us freely. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And for there to be a redemption, something had to be paid. And what was paid? Jesus Christ. Verse 25, God puts Jesus Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood. God puts Jesus Christ forward and our salvation is incredible, not just because we are saved, but at what a cost. The cost was God himself. Now, each week as we've been going through this podcast, we have one technical section. And this technical section we want to cover today is propitiation. So Pastor Edward, do you want to share a little bit what is propitiation? Um, propitiation refers to the idea of settling something that is owed. And in this context, some scholars or some people have uh, used a different term in place of propitiation, which is expiation. And expiation is another theological term which refers to this process of removing something. And uh, in, in the theological light, it refers to removing of our sins and our guilt through the blood of Jesus. And the reason why propitiation may be more uh, relevant in this passage is because propitiation also encompasses expiation, meaning Jesus's blood was used to remove our sin and guilt, but propiti propitiation goes as far as to say that that has also removed God's wrath away from us. Amen. There's so many things here that we can keep unpacking this idea of atonement and our sins are not just removed from us, but the righteousness has been satisfied. The righteousness of God, God himself has been satisfied. And that's an incredible thing that we can imagine ourselves. I can stand before God, holy, holy, holy God, and his righteousness is satisfied. That's an incredible statement, but that is as far as the Bible is going. The Bible is going that far. 
we can stand before God himself because Jesus Christ was our propitiation. He satisfied the wrath of God. The righteousness of God is satisfied. That's a powerful statement. And that is the truth and the gospel we stand in. It's a very powerful truth. And it goes a even further. Uh, to give an example, propitiation, uh, the Greek word here, is a word that's very loaded. And it's also used in the New Testament, but a lot of times in the Septuagint. And the Septuagint is the Old Testament that's been translated to the Greek that many of the people were using back then. And that, uh, in that book, many times this same Greek word is used to reference the mercy seat in the Old Testament, the mercy seat. The mercy seat sat at the top of the Ark of the Covenant, and it kind of symbolized God, God meeting with his people. And it's a mercy seat. Think about it. We approach God's throne through his mercy. So this propitiation word that also means mercy seat. Now bring it all back to Romans 3.25 that we just read. Paul is saying that Christ was put forward as our mercy seat. Christ is where we meet God through his mercy. So this word here carries so much of what Christ has done for us. And once again, none of this was because we deserved it. All of it by grace as a gift given to us. And that's a wonderful thing. So the, the gospel is even more incredible than anyone could have imagined. And Christ is all this for us. And just to add to that, um, we have to understand that up until this point, he's been just, just bashing on the Gentiles and the Jews and telling them you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're sinful. And well, after it's kind of like this, after you open up a wound, you have to bandage it somehow. And so at this point, he's pretty much doing that. And this resonates with both the guilt culture as well as the shame culture. Because in a guilt culture, if you're guilty of something and you did something wrong, you need to pay for it or something needs to be paid in order for you to be set free or to be deemed innocent again. However, in the shame culture, in order for someone to be deemed honorable, someone in a seat of higher honor has to reinstate you. So in propitiation, God does not just pay off what you owe because the Jews are probably thinking, okay, so if I'm sinful of all of this stuff, then what do I need to do to get rid of all of this sin? Like how much sin offering do I need to bring in order to, you know, uh, burn off all the sins that I have? However, Paul says, there is absolutely nothing you should do, nor can you do because Jesus Christ has done everything for you. And so he not only pays off what you owe and deems you as innocent, but he also reinstates you into a seat of honor and brings you out of your shame. And I think it's so important why he starts like this, because he's pretty much setting the stage for what's coming um, for the remainder of Romans. Mm -hmm. He needs them to understand that their righteousness, their salvation, et cetera, et cetera, is absolutely not of themselves, mm -hmm. but a hundred percent the grace of God. And it was a hundred percent God's choice that was motivated by his love for us. And if there's even a hint of this mentality of, you know, we, we can do it, we are worthy, we are capable, the rest of Romans will not fully make sense. 
Amen. Exactly like what you said. And just to summarize everything we've been going over today, it's really cool to think about it. Why did Paul start the way he did? And after that, all that stuff about how we can't be righteous in our works, this triumphant gospel lifts all of us, just like what you said. It restores us. It honors. But an honor that's been given to us by grace through Christ. And it does all these things. And it starts to make more sense when you remember our theme. Now, we've been talking a lot about the second theme, which is the righteous shall live by faith. And we've been talking about this this whole time. But now you understand the other one, the first theme, was hidden throughout this whole thing. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. But that whole, uh, that whole verse, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation for all who believe first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. Romans 1.16 has been going through this entire discussion that we've been going over because what Paul is trying to show, I'm not ashamed of the gospel as the power of God. You should be ashamed of all the other ways you try to save yourself. You should be ashamed of all the other things you try to do to make yourself feel good about yourself, to make yourself feel righteous, to make yourself feel acceptable. Those things are actually to your shame. Your works are to your shame. Your self-righteousness is to your shame. All these things are to your shame. But I am not ashamed of the one thing that actually makes me righteous, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And for all the listeners, this is what we have to get through to all our hearts. The other things like Paul talks about in the book of Philippians, all these other things we put our hope in is rubbish and shameful. And the only thing that could give us righteousness and we are not ashamed of is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why finally in verse 27, Paul starts it by saying, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. And he keeps going even more, but I just want to emphasize that when it comes to self-righteousness, When it comes to our acceptance before God, there are only two ways. You either believe or you boast, but you can't do both. You either believe in God to be your everything or you boast in self that you are good enough, but you cannot do both. both. And Paul is asking all his his listeners and he's pleading with his audience, please leave boasting because that's shameful and come into believing because there's righteousness there. This alone is the power of God. Amen. So after all we've went over, let's talk a little bit about how this practically affects our life. Uh, Pastor, how would you say trusting in grace for our righteousness changes us compared to trusting in our works? I think this is something that uh, our young adults who are working and probably even our college students can resonate with. But most of you guys know that I work at an elite and I'm one of the associate directors there. And what's so hard is that I need to constantly try to prove my worth while I'm working, not just to my coworkers, but to the students and to the parents. And if they don't feel like I'm of any worth to them, then they will just leave. They won't sign up for our program. And the side effect is if they don't sign up for our program, there's a chance that my boss might think I'm not you know, useful to the company, that I'm not 
worth keeping around. And there's a chance that I might even be fired if I don't produce a certain outcome that they're expecting. And the hardest thing about this is that we're working in nonstop stress and anxiety. And because of that, it definitely affects my emotional state, my psychological state, even social state. I mean, there are days where I go home and I'm just not in a very good mood and that comes off to my wife. I'm not, I'm not mean to her or anything, but if I'm in a bad mood, it, it naturally just affects the people that I love also. And I think to answer your question, if we are living to try to work out our salvation or to work out our righteousness, it's probably going to be exactly the same, just nonstop stress, nonstop anxiety, nonstop, nonstop inability to just relax. And I can't imagine living in a place where I have to constantly perform in order to be deemed righteous. However, um, if we are trusting in grace, we don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. Because grace says that whether you succeed, whether you fail, whether you're deemed as worthy by the people around you or whether you're deemed as unworthy by the people around you, that you're still fully accepted. That there's absolutely, and this is probably the most uh, significant aspect, but there's absolutely nothing you can do to lose grace, to be short of grace, because you didn't deserve it in the first place, that you weren't worthy of it in the first place. And so because we are under this law of, law of grace and law of faith, it's nice in that we don't have to live in constant anxiety and constant stress trying to prove our worth to God. And if we feel that much anxiety and stress over our work and you know the other aspects of our life, how much anxiety would we feel if our salvation was on the line? Oh, yeah. And I think that's so important for us to realize because if our salvation was, you know, um, based on our works and, you know, our, the outcomes that we produce, I think we would all die very early of stress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I really um, appreciate what you shared. It's... We live in a culture that's so driven by um, what we believe as productive, efficient. And in fact, we have a lot of comparisons. Even our social media, one thing I've always felt whenever I scroll through social media, I follow a lot of guitar players. I love guitar. I love electric guitar. I love blues guitar. And there's sometimes where I, I practice and I go on social media, I watch other guitarists, and I feel inspired. But when I'm not in a good place, I watch it and I get discouraged. <laughs> and I think it's because it produces this culture of someone will always be better than you. Someone will always have the life you want, but have it better. And it creates so much anxiety because we'll never feel like we are good enough or we are where we should be. And as a, our, as a culture, we, we prize efficiency and productivity and this high quality, but we bring it into our spiritual lives and we enforce it on ourselves. So we feel like if I'm not being productive, if I'm not being efficient, if I'm not meeting these expectations, I'm God must hate me. And so we condemn ourselves and we live with so much anxiety as you've been sharing. And it's so crazy that the gospel is, it gives us rest in this restless American culture 
where it's not about proving myself to God, it's accepting His love for me. It's accepting His grace for me. It's accepting His forgiveness for me. And it's just so uh, counterintuitive to the point where sometimes it's hard to accept the gospel because we just want to show how worthy we are of the gospel. But if we do that, sometimes we, we mess up our understanding of it. But you're so right that the gospel is like living waters to thirsty hearts. And it invites us to just drink Christ and to be filled and refreshed in Christ. Amen. I think that's a good way for us to transition to our closing. I want to ask our listeners, are there things in your life right now that make you feel as if you are not good enough? Are there things that make you feel spiritually low as if God could not accept you? Are there things that make you feel either guilty or ashamed, too guilty or too ashamed to come to God? Well, the gospel today tells you that everything else you might be trying to find your righteousness in, that's actually what's shameful. And what you really need is this righteousness by faith by believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to challenge all our listeners today, please take the moment to assess your heart and to see, are there things in your life right now that you are putting your worth in instead of Jesus Christ? If that is you, I want to encourage you today. Look at God's love for you through Jesus Christ. He knows you completely. He loves you completely. He accepts you completely and he forgives you completely. And that is the gospel, and that is the start of the Christian walk, and that is what we are entering as we finish Romans 3. We hope you guys join us next time for Romans chapter 4. 